Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey guys, welcome back to Familypreneur. I'm Meg and I'm really excited to bring my friend Stacy Brookman on the show today. Stacy is a resilience and life storytelling expert, and she produces the Real Life Resilience podcast. Her mission is to tell stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma and provide tools for resiliency for both kids and adults. She has a free webinar that gives you four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story in only seven days. Life is a story, and it's never too late to start telling yours. So without further ado, let's hear Stacy's story. Hi, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm very excited to have you here. Hey, Meg. I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> um, so let's just jump right into it. I'd love if you would explain a little bit about what it is that you offer. I feel like it's a really unique service. So go ahead and, and tell us what you offer and kind of how you got there. Yeah, I am a resilience and life storytelling expert. So I help people tell their life stories. And this is not just for writers. It's for people who have a story to tell, which is every single person, because all of us have stories in our lives. And so um, what I do is I podcast. I have the podcast Real Life Resilience, and I teach people how to be more resilient. And I also tell stories of uh, people who've had tough life circumstances. And that way, other people can learn those lessons and also understand how to write about their own lives to, to benefit themselves. So that's what I do. I have a webinar every month and it's at stacybrookman.com slash webinar. Now, how did I get there? I don't know. How much time do you have? (laughs) I've always been a lover of books and writing. I've never really written much until I was going through a divorce. uh, It was a very tough divorce. And during that tough divorce with a sociopath, actually, I took a memoir and life story writing class. This was at Rochester Writers and Books. Wonderful place. Love it. And the teacher there talked about writing as healing, which it is. And every week we would bring stories and um, I would tell the crazy stories of what happened in my life that week. And I realized, you know, your mind is in chaos when you're, you know, going through traumatic events such as a divorce. And I didn't realize until later how calming that was, how I would put what was happening to me and my feelings down on paper, bring it every Friday, read it to the class. And it just by doing that, it helped me clarify what the situation was and what I needed to do. 
because when you're in chaos, I mean, your brain is like on overload. And one of the things that I learned later after I studied life storytelling is that your brain on trauma, your brain on stress, actually putting words to what you're feeling, putting them down on paper forces you to do that is incredibly beneficial. So there's tons of studies done that writing about your life, it boosts your immune system, it helps you be more resilient person and more joyful person. And I learned that naturally after the class. And actually they gave me a scholarship to go back the next semester because they love my story so much. Because even in the midst of tragedy and terrible things I could write with with humor, like some of the things you just had had to laugh or else you would cry. And so I, you know, I just kept doing it, kept doing it. It was just wonderful. It just made me feel like I was a real person. It made me realize some of the traits that I had that were great about myself, which, you know, when you're going through something like that, it's just sometimes you're just so beat down. And, and so I, it was wonderful to me. After that, I'm like, I wish everybody could know the benefits of writing about their lives. Everybody should know this, even if you're not a writer. And so I started studying the art and the psychology of writing about your life. Then I went and taught at a community college. Loved that. When I taught at the community college, you know, I did several classes and I would get 15, 20 people, but I wanted to reach so many more. And that's when I started teaching online and started my website and my podcast. That's great. Now, I'm curious. I don't know if everybody knows what a sociopath is. Like with as much as you're comfortable, could you explain that a little bit, even just in like basic terms? Yeah. A sociopath, sometimes people call them narcissists. They're actually two slightly different things. It's also known as sometimes borderline personality, but this was way beyond that. If you ever have had or know somebody who's had a very difficult relationship and a person will uh, do things like gaslighting, that's where they make you think you're crazy. If you've ever thought you're crazy in a relationship, you're probably in a narcissistic or sociopathic relationship. Because they they say, yes, I said that. And you're like, no, I didn't. That's not what I heard. And you're like, well, you're crazy. You know, they will hurt themselves to, to spite you. They first love bomb you. And they're the perfect, perfect, perfect person. They send you cards and flowers and gifts and and just get you hooked in. And, and mostly confident, successful people are attracted to that. And then after, you know, you're married or after, you know, you're hooked in there, then they start denigrating you. They tear you down psychologically, and it's very methodical. They have no conscience. Um, just for instance, mine, when we were going through a divorce, he snuck into my house, cut the wires to the heater in the middle of a New York winter, just sliced them, and then he called Child Protective Services. So they showed up at my door the next day. Luckily, I had found somebody, strangely enough, uh, to be able to fix my... <laughs> Peter, in the meantime, so the kids and I were sitting there. Toasty warm. Toasty warm, playing a game on the floor. <laughs> so That's crazy. Yeah, so stuff. it's just really bad, bad stuff. He put a bug in my car. He was listening to my conversation. And I just really like things like you see in Hallmark movies, but you don't think you experience those in real life. So anyway. I can see how that would be traumatic. Those are the types of stories I was writing and bringing every week to my story class, memoir class. And so it was, it was the other thing about life story writing is 
it is so beneficial for someone else to hear your story and acknowledge it, not to make fun of you, not to, in a, in a safe community, like a life story writing class, everything's okay. It's okay to write out your feelings. So many times, you know, we keep ourselves in a little shell and we don't want to let people see how bad we really are or how maybe we really are arrogant or, you know, not that great of a person. But when you write and you have this uh, safe community, which I'm hoping to build here, is it's, it's amazing. And then you can let that stuff out and, and let it go. Now, do you, did you publish your writing or do you plan to publish it or is it just for you? Well, I originally started the class because my ex was telling my kids so many lies. I mean, just, just bald untruths. Like he was a stay at home dad when I'm like, I have tax records showing our, (laughs) our daycare center, you know, or, you know, it was really weird. And I thought, you know, you can't, you're not supposed to talk to your kids about your ex, you know, at the time. And, and so I didn't, but I wanted at some point for them to know the truth of what really happened. And so that's why I originally took the class. So I have not published that yet. I think once both of my kids turn 18, I probably will because it's a fascinating story. In fact, one of the stories about finding the bug in my car and taking it to the spy store, I threw some humor in there. It's all true, but it's like, you know, whoever would imagine in their entire life that they would have to take a trip to the spy store to discover a bug in their car. Not many people. How did you know where the spy store was? I Googled it. I I don't even know if I would know where to go. (laughs) Yeah. It's on Lyell Road in um, in, in Rochester, (laughs) New York. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, the funny thing is that spy spy store business must be pretty booming because they had a satellite store in Buffalo. So... (laughs) That's so funny. I'm not even sure. Um, we're in Phoenix. I have no clue if there is one. I bet if you Google, there might be one. <laughs> That's probably what I'm going to do later. <laughs> That's one of those things you got you to gotta laugh or you'd, you'd cry. And so I actually went to this, that store and I said, is there something to tell if you have a bug in your car? Because I, I didn't really know. He just knew about some conversations that, that were private. And, he, and the guy said, he was just real nonchalant. Well, no, there's not a you know scan or anything, but when I sell these bugs, I tell them to put them underneath the dash. So I went out in the parking lot and I felt underneath the dash and the little wire fell down from the dashboard. And I knew it wasn't from the car because it said Radio Shack on it. And so I drove straight to the police barracks and uh, a policewoman traced it and she was humorous too, but she traced that wire up the, uh, across the dash underneath it and up the steering wheel column and found a little bitty microphone right at the end. And he had been recording my conversations. Wow. So I, I love it because it's, I don't love that actually, but well, right. I've been able to take those crazy, crazy stories and turn them into a way to help other people. Because, you know, I think we all know those people who are in relationships that they shouldn't be in. And you're wondering, why does she stay with that person? Why in the world? It's because they're sucked in by that narcissist or that sociopath and they can't get out. It's, it's, um, there's a lot of psychological evidence for that. And so I understand. I mean, I tried to leave four times before I finally made it out. So I really want to help other people. And through my stories and through helping other people tell their stories, 
I can do that. So I'm curious, what did you do before this? Like, is this your first entrepreneurial venture or have you, are you a serial entrepreneur? Oh, are you asking about my failures? (laughs) Depends on how you define failure. Uh, Okay, I'll tell you my first failure. Okay. I must have already always had that entrepreneurial bent or that something inside of me because when I was really young, I wanted to make extra money. I was a secretary at a job and, you know, I didn't really care for being a secretary, but, you know, it was a job and it made money. On the side, I put a little card together that said CompuScript. And I was going to work on my computer and script somebody else's paper, right? You know, papers for people, for, you know, people who are going, getting their degrees and all that sort of thing. So this one lady said, yes, I would love for, to pay you. So she paid me and she gave me her, she had uh, spoken it and gave me the tape back then. And I took it and then I promptly forgot about it. So then she knocked on my door like three days later. Hey, are you, do you have the, I'm like, Oh no, I don't have it. Oh, no. <laughs> so I uh, quickly scrambled to get that done for her so she could turn it in. But uh, I was like, oh, if I can't even get, you know, remember to do the job that I was supposed to do. So anyway, CompuScript went away quite fast after that. But it's funny how it was still sort of related to writing. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Like not your original thoughts, but. Yes, exactly. You said that that was when you were kind of young. So what about your your parents? Like, were your parents supportive of like going a more entrepreneurial route or did they, were they really more encouraging you to go with traditional employment? No, they're, they're more of the um, steady and, you know, you need to get a good job, that sort of thing. Now, as an adult, absolutely. They love what I do. They support 100% what I do. They share it out with other people. So that's a little bit different when your kids are young and you really want them to get a good steady job out in the world, you know? And, you know, back then that was the, you know, eighties, mid to late eighties, nineties. That was the thing to do. That was more expected. And I think entrepreneurialism is, is more adaptable nowadays and uh, more accepted. Do you think your opinions or wishes or desires for your kids are different than what your parents had for you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I I believe kids, and I, I got this from Deb Ross at Kids Out and About, I believe that kids should fail often, fail early, and fail well. And so I hope my kids try and experiment all kinds of things and fail at them and find ultimately what they really, really want to do. I'm fully supportive of them starting and stopping things a lot. I feel like we've both been through a lot of that, right? The failures yeah. <laughs> back up and and keeping going. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have to learn that because uh, being resilient like that is a valuable skill. You've got to have that when, when the economy changes. And I mean, you really have to have that adaptive and resilient skills. When we spoke earlier, you talked a little bit about, you know, you give your kids a lot of responsibilities so that they're prepared for, you know, real life. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I, I also would love for you to include the overseas adventures. I think that might be kind of fun to explore a little bit. Well, actually, their responsibility, a lot of it came from my corporate job. So I had a corporate job that at some point was I drove an hour from home and, and back. And I was a single mom. So my kids had to get on the school bus. They had to get themselves up because I left at 
think I left at six or before six or else, you know, the traffic was even worse. So I left early. They had to get themselves up, get themselves breakfast, get themselves on the bus on time. And, you know, those buses just stop briefly and go on and, you know, and then come home and get themselves a snack and do their homework and all without me. And of course, did I feel guilty? Oh my goodness. Yes. But I mean, I had a full-time job. It was, you know, I was a single mom. So they had to step up. So they not only got themselves ready, you know, they learned how to do that really, really well. In fact, people comment all the time, man, you, your girls are just awesome. They get them. Are you kidding? They do that all, the, all by themselves. And they were in, let me see, fifth and seventh grades. That's what I was just going to ask was about what age? Yeah, fifth and seventh grades. So they, they did really, really well. So they learned that. And they also have chores around the house. I don't serve them in any way. Well, maybe a few ways. I tell them, I have, I have two jobs. You need to clean the house. I need, and so I need them to do their chores. And it's teaching them that for the future, for them when they get out on their own, they're going to be better off. Now, the, the other thing is uh, the overseas. My oldest daughter has always had a penchant for Japan. She loves Japan ever since she was like 10 years old, maybe earlier. And she's on her own, learned the Japanese language, got Rosetta Stone. And, and she's always, can I go to Japan? She wanted to go at age like 14 to Japan by herself. I'm like, no, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. So finally, two years ago, year and a half ago, you know, she's, she was 17. I said, if you earn half the money, I'll pay for the other half. And let's plan this out and you can, you can go to Japan. So she did research on the internet. She found a language school over there that was four weeks and a home stay. And then the other part of that is the final two weeks after that. So she was over there 46 days. She planned her own itinerary and traveled around Japan on her own. She got around on the buses, on the trains, other public transportation. She talked to people. She stayed in hostels. And so she would call me almost every night. And she was like, well, this this Chinese man in the bed next to me. And I, I'm like, what? Oh, what? Chinese? And, and uh, But in hostels, you know, the beds, the next door beds, you know, you have curtains around them and all that. So so that was an eye-opening experience for her and me. But it, it helped her so much. I mean, she knows now she can get around in a foreign country. Those are very entrepreneurial skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. The being able to teach yourself a language. I mean, mm-hmm. that's incredible. So yeah. I, I, I can't help but feel like part of that is you. Like that was your influence as an yes. entrepreneurial parent, <laughs> you know, that she took those initiatives. And I know when I was in high school, I mean, or not high school, college, I had the opportunity to go abroad and I wasn't gutsy enough. Uh-huh. Like th- yeah. that was it. It wasn't the money. It, I mean, the money would have been an issue, but uh, I would have had to figure it out. But it was more like the the comfort and the the drive to do it. So right. And the other part of that was she had to learn to save money. You know, when she uh, she has a, a little part time job, and then she would babysit or walk dogs. You know, for relatives and stuff. And and she learned how to save money. We count. We calculated a year out how much is it going to cost? How much do you think you'll have? You'll need for food or transportation or you know gifts and things like that. We planned it all out. We said, okay, it's going to cost this much. Um, the other life lesson was when she was over there, and of course there's an exchange rate and things like that. And 
her credit card was attached to her bank account. And a couple of times it went down to zero. So when she came back, we learned, okay, now, you know, you, you do have to pace yourself when you're over there and, and look at your bank account and, and things like that. But it, it turned out so well. I'm just really, really proud of her. Sense coming back, does she have like her next big goal in mind? Like I, yes. What is she going to be doing in two more years? Well, um, we think this summer, well, she wants to go over to Europe for sure. And she's working for a, a golf club, True North Golf, and they have locations all over the world. And I said, what if you went to Hawaii this summer and worked there? And where, what if you went to Scotland? Or She went and researched on her own. There are hostels where you can go in, in Europe where you can go and stay for free. And if you work at the hostel, like four hours or something like that. And um, where it's called work away, I think. And so she just does that on her own and says, here, how about this? You know, checks in with me, which I appreciate. And so we're, she's saving up again for, for another trip. Does she know what she wants to be when she grows up, if you will? No. And I think it's fine that you don't. Like, I, I think it's fine too, but I, I, keep, I keep asking, although I, I, I know I shouldn't keep asking her, like, what do you want to do? What do you, let's start planning or what, you know, what do you want to do to go to school? She does want to go to school, but she does. She knows she wants to travel a lot. And so I'm like, okay, let's just keep that in mind. And I keep throwing things out at her that's, you know, opportunities or possibilities. And why don't you go and um, job shadow somebody or, you know, offering some of those opportunities for her to, to explore. It's just fun. She has like an entrepreneurial mind as well because she sold um, origami owl jewelry you know, the little lockets and things like that for a little while. Um, that was her first, I don't know if that was her first venture. She might have sold some other stuff too. But that, that taught both of us a lot of lessons because she wanted the money because she wanted to eventually go to Japan and she wanted to do it, but I ended up doing all the work. And so I'm like, mm, most of the work. I can't, I, I have two jobs. I cannot do this for you. And so after, let's see, it was seven months, I think we, we closed it down, but that was a good experience. And now we have lots of lockets here, <laughs> lots of lockets in our house. <laughs> we, you've mentioned a couple of ways that you've kind of balanced out family and work, you know, giving the kids more responsibilities and things like that. But do you have any other tools, tricks, or advice for listeners who are, are str- either struggling in their current situation of balance or thinking about starting a business, but they can't even imagine adding another ball to, to the, the load they're juggling. Oh yeah. I do juggle a lot of balls. <laughs> One of the things is I help make sure that myself and, and my kids and everybody are organized. Like times of the day, times of the, of the week that we do certain things like chores, or I'm going to be interviewing or for my podcast or and I have times blocked out just for, for that. And so I don't always honor those, but I try mostly to, to honor those blocked times. And I emulate that for them. Of course, they have school. They have homework. So they know they have to do that. And then I also like the chore list and making sure that I honestly, I have taken all the chores off of my plate. And they, the two girls do them and they're now, um, 17 and 18. And so they are fully capable, even 12 and 13, they're fully capable of cleaning the house. And then I participate whenever I can. I just, you know, do, I'll do dishes one night or I'll 
you know, vacuum or do, you know, help with the dogs or whatever. So I, I help when I can, but I want them to understand that the money that I make helps pay for the house, helps, you know, pay for the bills, pay for their whatever lessons, any kind of thing, fun things that they want to do. So this is their response, part of their responsibility for being part of the family. We all participate. So I participate, but it's not on a, like a scheduled basis. I just help out whenever. Are you guys um, allowance families? Do, you, do they get an allowance for their chores or are you a, uh, you mentioned responsibility. So I wasn't sure. I don't do allowances um, because I, number one, pay for most of the things that they want, they need as far as clothes and things like that. And if they want something, then they do save it up from their little jobs or, um, you know, dog walking and things like that. I think that's important for them to, to see. The other thing that I do is I help them see what I'm doing in my job. Hey, look at my revamp of my website or, hey, you know, I've got a podcast interview and or this was a great, and I talk about it. This was a great podcast interview and really talked about this or that or, or I'm struggling with, you know, trying to edit this podcast. I wish I could, you know, find a VA to do that. <laughs> so I talk through those things, hoping that they will catch on. They're like, okay, it's a struggle, but she can overcome it. She has overcome it. She's, you know, the website's looking good, things like that. So they can kind of gather some of those skills. I don't know if it falls on deaf ears or not, but I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't. Now you mentioned a VA. Are you currently using a VA? I know you have in the past. Right now, again, the, the time struggle is real. So I have a VA, but I'm right, right now I'm making little short videos to show her exactly what to do on my website and things like that. I don't have those done because I'm doing the work that I need to be, get done, but I, I can't get her to do it until I give her the instructions. So it's kind of chicken and the egg. I should say to you, a virtual assistant is what we're talking about. Yes, a virtual assistant. Yes. Hey, and I recently connected with the local community college for uh, internships. And so one of the things I, like, I'm the bottleneck a lot of times, and I'm a big believer in farming out anything that doesn't need my exact skill. I've contacted them, their audiovisual department, and starting the first of the year, I'm going to have some interns who will help edit my podcast. Brilliant. Yeah. And then something from someone from the creative um, writing department or the English department who is going to help me write show notes for my podcast. And so I think everybody should look as soon as possible or even before as soon as possible to, to outsource those things that you really, that you're the bottleneck for. And as other entrepreneurs, you know what I'm talking about when you're the bottleneck. <laughs> That's such a creative, I never would have thought to go to a community college or, or any local college really. Yeah. The problem with that is that it's 16 weeks. So every 16 weeks, I'm going to get a new person and I'll have to train them. But if I can take the load off of myself enough then and, and get into that groove, that will work. That's awesome. Now, can you give me a couple examples? I mean, I know you mentioned these for podcasting, but what are some other things that you've outsourced to a VA in the past? And then are there tricks or tips for like how to know what to outsource? Like, for a lot of people, money's the issue. For somebody on a bootstrap budget who can't afford to pay $12 an hour, what do you do? What do you outsource? Right. I've also outsourced creating you know, graphics and things for my website, my logo, anything that other than interviewing, I have farmed out. That's great. Great thing is um, 
what is it? Online jobs PH. It's the Philippines job in the Philippines. They take like four to six dollars an hour. And so that might be more affordable and they can get a lot done in those times. So you have to find the right organization. A lot of times there's a upfront fee, like it might be $40, $50. There's some that charge like $500 to find you the perfect VA, but I don't, I'm, I'm not a big believer in that. I don't want to pay $500 and then have a VA that maybe might not work out. I just didn't like paying that much money upfront. Right. So I did go through several before I found the right ones. The Philippine folks are clo- very close to American in speech and understanding. Almost every single one of them know English. You get to know these people and give them little pieces at a time, and then the trust factor goes up, and then you give them more responsibility and more responsibility. So that has really worked for me. And then the other thing is the, the internship, which I'm just starting out. I'll let you know. Definitely let me know. I want, <laughs> I'm definitely curious about that um, for myself. Yeah. Before we, we wrap up, like, what's that one last like, piece of advice that you really want to leave listeners with? What would you say, you know, starting your business or struggles with your business? What's your number one takeaway? I would say it is the best thing you could possibly do in your entire life is to start your own business. Start small. You don't have to quit your job. I you know, haven't yet quit my corporate job. I'm hoping to this next upcoming year. But you know, just go ahead and start. Start small. Make a lot of mistakes. That's okay. Make the mistakes when you're small. Like I've tried to do some Facebook Lives and, and YouTube Lives and it took me a while before. It took me a lot of you know, people were saying, there's no sound. Oh, no. It took me a while before I got the right formula, but you, you do it and do it when you're small and you can find that time. I take a lunch where, you know, a lot of people in corporate world don't take lunches. They just work right through. You know what? That's my time. I'm going to take it. I'm going to step away from my desk and I'm going to work on my business. I, I think that's what everybody can and should do because the economy, the way the economy is going is go, more freelancers, more entrepreneurs, and you know, you're giving yourself a boost uh, for the future. Yeah. No, I'm obviously a big believer in having your own hustle. Yes. Can always count on yourself. Right. <laughs> so I'm with you there. Where can people go to learn more about you or find out about what you're offering? I mean, tell us a little bit. You mentioned in the beginning about the webinar. Yeah, it's a free webinar. It's at stacybrookman.com slash webinar. And it's the four simple proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story in just seven days. So even if you're not a writer, you don't have to know grammar. It's not about that whatsoever. It's about healing and it's, uh, you know, getting those stories out and it's free. So if you go there, stacybrookman.com slash webinar, I do one every single month. And by the time you listen to this, I'll have done multiple ones. So they sh- should be perfected by then. <laughs> That's another thing. You know, you go through that learning curve. Like the first one really was yucky. And the second one, there was hardly any sound. And then, you know, the third one is much better. Just start. And I would encourage anybody, if you know of anybody who has had some traumatic circumstances or a tough relationship, this would benefit anybody. And then, of course, on there are my blog posts and future courses that I put up there will always be at stacybrookman.com. 
No, that's awesome. And we've talked before. I'm definitely looking forward to getting a book written and I know you're going to be the one that gets me there. So yes, let's do it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We'll put the links and everything in the show notes, of course. And um, it was great having you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, Meg. I'm really excited you're doing this because families need the resources that you're providing. I really appreciate you. Oh, good. Thank you. You'll find all of the links for this week's show notes at megbrunson.com slash six. In the last episode, we met Kat Stancic. Kat is a business coach known for her tough love and amazingly well-branded website. We explored the topics of revenue versus profits, goal setting, taking focused actions, and more. If your business needs a kick in the pants to up-level, you'll want to go back and give that episode a listen. Next show, we'll meet Susie Parker. She is a certified sleep consultant and the founder of Sleep Baby Love Child Sleep Consulting. Through personalized consulting and online courses, Susie helps many exhausted families teach their babies, toddlers, and preschoolers to love sleep. Susie and her husband both hold corporate jobs as well as self-employment, and they believe in the power of diversifying their household's income. If you have a little one who's struggling with sleep or balancing a corporate job in multiple income streams, this is an episode you won't want to miss. So subscribe to the podcast today. Bye. Till next week.